If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today's guest is Rachel Wilson. Rachel's a dressage specialist. She's a competitor, trainer and coach, and she follows a German training system. We're going to talk a little bit with Rachel about her time with Herberta Smith and her background as well. How are you today, Rachel? Well, thanks, Glennis. Good. Good. Rachel, we normally start people off with a favourite quote, one that they would use when they were teaching or one that they might have been inspired. So my favourite quote actually comes from Richard Branson, who I actually saw a couple of years back in Melbourne doing a totally non-horsey, but a business convention. But I was really interested in his ideas and philosophy and the man he is. And he actually said something that I, I jotted down and and I think it's one of his favourite quotes anyway because you can actually find it on the internet. But he said, if someone offers you an amazing opportunity and you're not sure you can do it, say yes and then learn how to do it. And to me that rang very true because that was a little bit me when I first went over to Germany. Like I was extremely scared. I couldn't speak the language. I knew no one there and I was going over there by myself to live. So, yeah, that sort of rang true with me in a lot of things that I did and, you know, just pushing yourself a little bit and learning how to do things and seeing if you can actually challenge yourself and, and get there and reap the rewards in the end. So, yeah, that's probably a quote and little story that I sort of use with a lot of my clients too when opportunities come and it's quite a scary situation. But, yeah, to take those opportunities, you never know what doors can open then. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I'm sure that people who go by that quote do say yes and figure it out later. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Do you tell your students that? I have shared that story and quite a few experiences on how that relates to me with my students, yes. Mm, mm, good. All right, Rachel, just going back to your first early memories with horses, what have you got? So how did you start with horses? Well, my mum and dad would tell you that I was interested in horses from as soon as I could walk, basically. And mum and dad were not competitive riders at all. They were very much pleasure riders and were members of the local HRCAV club back in the day, so adult riding club, but really not competitive, just went there for the whole social sort of scene. But yeah, I was pretty much hooked on horses as soon as I could walk. And mum can tell you stories of when I was you know, three and having tantrums because she wouldn't let me near I didn't have a pony at all so I grew up sharing mum's horse which was big at the time it was a 15 two-hand horse that had been passed down from her sister because it was crazy and mum ended up getting it and it was a four-year-old and I was a three-year-old and you know I would be hanging around its legs and silly things like that so yeah mum will tell you about me having tantrums because she wouldn't let me near the horse because she was worried of course as she would be with it being a young horse so that's where the passion sort of started. And then when I was probably, I, we never had a property of our own. So our family, my auntie and uncle had 10 acres up in Gippsland in between Merby North and Lee and Gatha, which is an absolutely beautiful spot in Victoria. 
And they had cows and just ran a little hobby farm in between all these massive big farms. And my horse was there, or mum's horse, which became my horse, was there. And one day out riding in the bush, I met a lady on her beautiful Arab gelding. And as, you know, any young girl that I think I was in about grade five, any young girl thinks, you know, Arab horses are just amazing. And they are. But I used to ride past this lady's house all the time thinking, wow, aren't they magnificent horses in the paddock? And then I finally got to meet the lady. So she invited me out to ride with her a few times and then she ended up being a primary school teacher actually and she saw my passion for my horses and she had all the things I didn't have. She had the float, she had the fancy gear that could be used for you know, going to shows and competitions and I only had the make-do things. Like I didn't have a saddle till I was 10 or 11 and you know it was always bareback riding and so she sort of took me under her wing and we ended up showing Arabs together for many years. She had some very, very good Arabs and Anglo-Arabs and she introduced me to a whole lot of different facets of the you know, equestrian sport. So she was a part endurance rider, so I tried a bit of endurance riding and she helped me get into a little bit of eventing and I did a couple of two and three day events and ended up finding my passion for working on the flat. So we would work on some dressage stuff and she'd help me a bit and then we went showing everywhere. So like most dressage riders, that's where I started off, in the show ring, showing Arabs, purebred Arabs and Anglo-Arabs. So, and that was, yeah, all the way up until I was probably in my late teens. I didn't get my first proper dressage horse until I was, yeah, probably late teens and I could afford to buy that horse myself. Yeah, yeah. It sounded like a bit of a horror story, you know, to start off with a three-year-old child, a four-year-old crazy horse, 15-2, you know, and something that a lot of coaches would just be cringing about. But, um, yeah, somehow it's worked yeah, out okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And every time we'd go to adult riding club, there'd be all the kids on their ponies and everyone would be saying, oh, can we swap? And I'd be like, yes, can I have a ride on your pony? For sure, take my horse. <laughs> I just wanted a pony. Wow. And funnily yeah. enough, mum and dad bought me a pony, my first ever pony for my mm-hmm. 40th birthday. So I did eventually oh, get funny? my pony. <laughs> isn't that funny? <laughs> oh, wow, wow. All right, now I'm going to ask you about your career with horses because you sort of had another career before you had a career um, as a full-time coach. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so my career with horses was always in the back of my head. I always wanted to end up working with horses full time, but Mm -hmm. I'd always known people in the horse industry, like especially from being that young kid that buddied up with the friend who had the Arab horses. She was actually a school teacher and she had quite a few friends. One of them was a very good friend and he was a vet. So by the time I was in grade five, I decided that, okay, grade five, grade six, I want to become a vet. So he said to me, how about you come and spend the day with me and see what you think? And I loved it. I loved it. We were pulling calves out. We were stitching things up. We were doing all of that. And it was wonderful. And at the end of the day, I said to him, so when would I get to ride my horse? And he just looked at me and laughed and said, "Um, maybe on the weekend if you're not on call. And that depends if you're working for a clinic and totally burst my bubble. I was like, well, this isn't going to (laughs) work. How can I manoeuvre this to be a a horse rider also? So over the coming years, I did spend a lot of time with this friend, Kath, and I ended up going into the classroom with her. And I was always one to like to work with kids and like to be able to help with things like that anyway. And yeah, I think she fostered my love for teaching. So yeah, I ended up becoming a teacher 
And from the time I, I was a country kid that moved up into the city and, you know, I went for a small town in Gippsland up to Chapel Street, which was a huge eye-opener for me. But that whole time I was working, still, you know, working a part-time job at uni and then I was coaching on the side. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's where it sort of was, okay, I can kind of make this work. So, yeah. And I did. I made it work all through my teaching career and I had lots of positions of responsibility in my teaching career where I was head of faculties or developing curriculum for certain programs or but I still managed to keep my love of teaching in the horse industry and my competitive edge also with my own horses for almost 20 years until I took the plunge and decided to see if I could make my life out of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. And a good story, you know, thinking that even though you had a full-time job, you still had a part-time job with horses, you know, so you were still an equine yeah. professional all the way through and now doing it yeah. full-time. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel, tell us a bit about your background in equine myotherapy and physiotherapy. So this came about also when I was teaching full-time. It came about when I got my first proper dressage horse and much to many people's disgust, they were thinking I was crazy. But again, like I say, he was all I could afford at the time. He was a 13-year-old thoroughbred, a very big horse. He was probably 17 too. And I'd come off a 15 three-hand Anglo-Arab onto this big 17 two thoroughbred. So it was quite a jump for me. But he was extremely talented. He was only at elementary level but he'd been pushed quite a bit. And physically, he was a really good horse. He was built like a tank, but mentally, he was just an overachiever. So he found it really hard with the expectations that were put on him and was quite burnt out. So when I turned around being this, you know, showy that had been in the show ring for years and won everything and wanted to challenge myself to the next level, okay, I'm going to go into the dressage scene. Mm. Everyone was like, you are crazy. You're buying this horse that's burnt, Mm. but that's what I could afford. And my coach at the time said to me, look, if you can make this horse, you'll learn so much in the journey. And if you can make him, he'll go far for you. (laughs) And even the vet that did the vet check said to me, oh, there's no way this horse will go beyond medium if you can get his brain. Because, you know, there are certain injuries there that are going to stop him from doing things like canter pirouettes or changes correctly and stuff like that. So that's when I was a bit like, well, I'm going to learn how I can help this horse myself because yes I can get someone out every week but I need to know what the feeling is when I'm riding this horse when he's not comfortable and when he does need some help and so yeah that's when I went and did the equine myofunctional therapy course and it was it was a big course then it was over like 12 months and we went for a whole weekend every month and we did a hands-on and a practical session so Yeah, that's really what stemmed my passion for learning about the horse and the biomechanics and how I can make my athlete the best he can be. And this horse went on to being very successful in up to pre-St. George into one and we were working on the into two and he kept going for me until he was about 24 and then I retired him. So it's a good story to get, you know, to get a burnt out horse and be able to take it for that far. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. I mean, look, it took me... (laughs) It took me two and a half years to get a walk across the diagonal at Werribee in the arena. And the test was probably dismal. It was an advanced test. I can remember it. And when I came out of the ring, mum and I were both in tears. It was like I'd won the World Cup. And I'm sure everyone on the side of the arena were looking like, that was a disgusting test. You know, why are they so excited? (laughs) 
you know, just to get this horse to walk a whole diagonal was amazing. You know, it was such a long journey, but I'd learned so much about being a horse person yep. and also being a rider and knowing that there's not one way. It's like teaching children, I suppose. There's not one way for every horse and yeah. you have to find what works for each horse. Yeah, and, and those small goals, the small achievements are important, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. And exactly that, having to set, not only for horses but for riders, having to set those small steps, not just look at the big picture and think it's all far too hard. Mm -hmm. So this was extremely important for this horse because if you made the picture too big, he just lost it. Yep. So, yeah. What what about physiotherapy? You had a bit of a background in that as well. No, this – Yes, well, I have. I am sponsored by a remedial therapist, remedial oh, sports okay. therapist. Yes, yes. And she works very closely with me. So she's sponsored me for two years now. And the difference in my riding and the way my horses are going and now what I can feel with, within my own body, being aware with where I am stronger and where I'm not so strong and being able to do stretches or exercises to improve those areas has been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So she's been amazing. She watches me every Friday. Every Friday I ride and she'll look and just tweak things if she needs to or just say, yeah, it's all looking fine. So, yeah, she's a remedial sports therapist, but she also used to be a paramedic. So she has a very good background in the medical field and, mm. yeah, what your body is doing. And she's also a rider, which I think makes a huge difference because yes. she understands the parts of my body that I need to access to be able to ride certain movements. Yep. So, yep. yeah, I can't, and I can't, cannot recommend a good bodywork person enough for a rider. But also as a coach, you know, that you can then take some of those skills forward and, you know, just assist your own riders, your own students, and, and recommend them for further help if you think that they need it. Yeah, and that's right. And being able to even see things now in the saddle that I couldn't see before in my riders where I can see if they're sitting crooked or they're anchoring with one hand and one hip or, you know, they're locked through their hips or they have little restrictions. And I'll often pick up injuries that people have before they can tell me that they, oh, yeah, you know, I did this or I have fusion Mm -hmm. within those joints and, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. I can see that as soon as they sit in the saddle. So it has made me so much more aware and, you know, there are people that may have scoliosis or some other injuries that you have to work with. And I've worked with some RDA riders, for example. You have to work with that. But then it gives me a good understanding of where the horse's boundaries are with the rider and the rider's boundaries with the horse. Mm-hmm. So that makes, you know, for a really complete picture. And yep. again, then my myofunctional therapy hat kicks on too. And I can look at what we need to access with the horse. So, you know, it all sort of intertwines and works quite well together. Yep, yep, quite complementary then, yeah. Now, because you always wanted to work with horses, you know, you always wanted to ride and teach and everything else, took you a little while to get there. What do you think for people that are thinking about, you know, not necessarily teaching but working within the horse industry, what sort of skills or character traits do you think that they need? I think the most important thing for me was to have a backup I always felt I needed, and it's probably just a little bit the way I'm wired, but I needed a backup plan. So that's why I went on and became a teacher. And then I knew that if anything happened, I could always go back to teaching. Mm -hmm. So not everyone has that need, but that was something personally for me. But I think also being really resilient 
resilient and patient because opportunities will come your way, but they won't always be easy to get to and they won't always come when we expect them. So being really patient and being able to work towards. So I think this is where a lot of planning comes into place and people who know me know that I really like to set goals and have obstacles that may be in the way, but I like to work a way around them. So I think being able to plan what you see as a big picture and what you see as little steps and working out a way to get there because there really is no reason why we can't get to where we want to go. And I know you hear that all the time and you think, oh, yeah, but this person has this much money or this person has access to these horses. But we really make our own opportunities for ourselves. Like, I didn't know Huberta Schmidt from a bar of soap 12 years ago. Mm. And, you know, every second year I'm over there training with him now and he's a huge support to me now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think being able to plan what you want and try and work with people to see if you can get those. And there will be doors that don't open for you, but then being able to be resilient enough to say, okay, I need to find another way around that. Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. And you talked about Hubertus. Who else has influenced you? Um, My very first coach, my very first dressage coach, really set the foundation. So that was um, a lady called Gwenna Shanley, and she was quite an influential dressage coach for a lot of people in Gippsland. She trained with masters like Nuno Oliveira and Franz Moringa, so she had quite a classical basis. She was very dedicated and very in tune with the horse, but also made you a very dedicated rider. Like she expected you to be able to train what she asked. Yes. And that, you know, the next time there would be a result or there would be an answer as to why there wasn't a result. Like, you know, what was going wrong? What do we need to look at? What to, you didn't just go there, listen for 45 minutes. And that was it. So, And I loved that. You know, I loved to be challenged and loved to be pushed. So she was huge in – I've only ever had a handful of coaches in my whole life, actually. So she was a big influence on me in the beginning to set that foundation. And then the next coach that came along was another wonderful coach in Glenis Barry, who, you know, is quite an uh, accomplished rider in Australia and for Australia. So Mm – Again, it was fantastic because her foundations were very much the same and she also set up my foundations, again, being really cemented in the German training scale, which set me up beautifully for meeting Hubertus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I went over to Hubertus, his foundations are totally the German training scale. You don't skip steps. Everything is about the foundation work, not about the movement. You know, you always come back to riding the horse with relaxation, bending, softness, swinging, creating all of that to make energy and to make the tempo and to make the movement. Mm -hmm. It's not about riding tricks. It's all about riding everything from the foundation work and going back to that to fix it. Yep. Yep. And then more recently, I trained for probably five years with a Danish trainer in Victoria, Bjarne Elsesson, who was Amazing with my FEI horse at the moment, William, so CJP Winchester. And more recently, Brett Parbury has been helping me out. So obviously he needs no introduction. Sure. But Brett worked with Hubertus also, and it was Hubertus that said to me, right, when you're ready to go Grand Prix, it'd be great to have Brett cast some eyes over how the horse is going and because we, you know, we all train very much the same way and, yeah, he would be great eyes on the ground for me. So, and that's working great. Good, good. Now, you said you learned a lot from your, um, you know, the horse that you got, 13-year-old thoroughbred that you ended up taking up to Pre-St. George into one. What other horses? Yeah. 
So after him, I've had the ride on a few clients' horses, but I haven't really, I've mainly been a rider of my own horses. I've, yep. I really felt, and especially when I became a professional, left school and went, okay, what am I going to be, a rider or a coach? Mm. Which am I going to be? And I really had to go, okay, as a rider, if I ride my own horses, I can take my time. If I need more time with a certain young horse, and I've got one at the moment who she's taken quite a lot of time, she's very sensitive and very hot, but I can take my time with that. So it sort of became a choice of which do I want to be and having my basis in teaching, that's where I wanted to be more of because I really missed it actually when I left the classroom, Mm -hmm. having that role. But yeah, other horses more recently would be my FEI horse, which is CJP Winchester. He's been a phenomenal horse from the beginning. My goal with him when I bought him as a four-year-old, so he was unbroken four-year-old, was my challenge with him. I always like to set a little goal when I start a horse, my own, was, okay, I want to see if I can take this unbroken four-year-old from breaking him in to Grand Prix. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been an amazing journey along the way. So, yeah, he was the first horse I ever broke in. And, yeah, we're almost ready to make our I was going to say, you're you well, so. well and truly on the right track, aren't you? You're sort of. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. Yep. Good. And he's been a phenomenal horse, you know, right the way through, mm. being on state teams. And he's got two gold performance medals from EA. And, yeah, so he's been an amazing horse. And it's been a you know, fantastic journey. But we've had lots of ups and downs. You know, like he was a horse that's been out for 18 months. He um, ended up with a virus and really sick and we almost lost him and it's taken us 18 months, nearly two years to come back and I thought he'd only be good in the paddock. You know, even if he could just retire in the paddock, I would have been happy. Mm. But, yeah, we've come back to competition, but it's been a really heart-wrenching journey when you think, you know, one of your best friends is so sick and there's not a lot you can do. So, Mm. yeah. What do you think's been your proudest moment with him? Has that been winning the medals? What, you know, you tell me. I think my proudest moment would be back with this, yeah, my first FEI horse, Mm -hmm. winning our first pre-St. George test. That was one of my proudest moments because the journey to get there and win that test, it was a long journey. So, and we'd overcome many obstacles. So, yeah, in relation to my own horses, I always go back to him and, you know, when things so good, I'm like, yeah, but look at where I've actually come. Yeah, yeah, yep. One of my other proudest moments was being in the middle of the arena at Arken at the World Equestrian Games. I was invited to be the groom for Huberta Schmidt. In 2006, I went over and I lived over in Germany for the 12 months and worked for Huberta Schmidt. I took time off school. I had a wonderful principal who said to me, this is an amazing opportunity, go. Kept my job open for me if I came back. And, yeah, over I went. So Hubertus invited me to go with him as his groom for Von Suela that he had at the time, big chestnut mare. She'd been world, European and Olympic gold medalist. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so really a proud moment when I was walking the horse around and the German team had won the gold medal and they're standing on the dais and, you know, here I am, the little Aussie, walking the German horse around, part of the German team and, you know, we went to the German team celebrations that night and the head of the German Federation announced me as their honorary German and, <laughs> you know, it was just lovely. But, yeah, and just to be with those people and learning from the team was mm-hmm. Isabel Wirth, uh, mm-hmm. Nadine Kapelman and Heike Kemmer and, we had team lockdown at Nadine Kapelman's the week before. 
and just to be with them yeah. the whole week and yeah. watch them train and, you know, eat with them and talk with them and discuss training stuff with them. That's yeah. invaluable stuff. Oh, and absolutely. being behind the scenes and seeing how, you know, one of the best teams in the world prepares for a World Games is something not many people get to do, is it? <laughs> oh, definitely not. Definitely not. I'm just thinking, you know, about you said about an amazing opportunity and going back to uh, the Richard Branson quote. Yes, mm, yeah, mm, that's mm, right. Figure out and that's, later. that's exactly right. You know, when I went over to Germany to start with, I was over there as a rider and I had to ride three or four different horses at different levels before Huberta said, okay, you can ride. Mm, and mm. I took with me all my teaching qualifications, all my certificates, because I thought, well, if I can't ride and I'm just cleaning the barn, well, then I'll go and work somewhere to see if I can get lessons from him because yes. he was a huge idol of mine. Yep. And so, yeah, I had to go through the, right, let's see if you can ride and what horses you can ride. And I had a young horse, a sort of elementary medium horse, and then a small tour horse and a Grand Prix horse. And mm-hmm. I'm lucky I got the tick. But then he also ended up saying to me probably a couple of weeks in, I really like the way you do things with the horses and I don't want to take away from your riding, but do you think in the mornings you could be my groom because you pay attention to the details that I need? And I'm Mm, like, oh, mm. okay. But that meant I got to warm up all of his horses. So I was riding all of his Super Grand Prix horses and warming them up. And when there was no one in the arena, he would say to me, what do you want to feel today? Oh, isn't (laughs) that brilliant? Yeah. Okay. I want to feel a little bit of the Piaf and Passage transition and be able to work with that. Okay, let's go. Yes. So, you know, I had over the 12 years, he's given me some amazing horses to ride. and You know, horses that have been at the Olympics Mm, uh, mm. to train on and given me opportunities and given me so much time to learn the fundamentals of riding the movements and training the movements and every time I go back he says to me what do you want to learn about this time so yeah that's good good so I've had lots of proud moments there with with those sort of things Mm, mm. all right you've said about Winchester being out for 18 months was that your biggest challenge or what other challenges have you had throughout your career that would probably be my biggest recent challenge but I think One of the biggest challenges, not just for me, but for all of us as riders that aren't professional riders, is actually making a balance of work, life, family, and wanting to be the best we can be as riders also. Mm. You know, that gets really, really difficult. And I mean, anyone that works full time and knows, I know in teaching, there was times when we were writing reports and I would have to take a whole month off riding because to get my reports done, I'd have 250 essays to mark and then 200 exams to mark and all of these things to do before I could actually get down to writing my reports. So if you're working time, if you're working part-time and you have a family, it's such a hard thing to get that balance that enables you the time to ride. And I think that's where, well, a very, a very good family around you or partner around you really helps but Mm -hmm. also having a plan and being able to manage your time and that becomes really hard but being locked in to say no this is the time and I need to ride and I can't always be tangible with that time otherwise yeah it makes it hard to happen and then everything gets pushed back so that was probably my biggest challenge being able to fit in coaching you know riding my own horses and also being the best teacher I could be and and many times I was many years I was being a head of something, a head teacher or a head of a faculty or something like that. So there's extra stuff to do there too. Yep. So yep. yeah, that's another challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Now I want you to put on your coaching cap and think about yeah. 
a problem or a challenge or a common fault that you see riders, it could be your riders or other competitive riders, and also talk about how to fix it? Probably one of the things I see is that we all spend so much time and money on our horses. So things aren't going right, we buy a new saddle or we try a new bit or we try different supplements or we change the feed or we change the noseband or we change the coach. And I think sometimes we need to just stop and go, okay, let's just strip it back. What else could be going wrong that's not a piece of equipment? Like, And this is where I think understanding your horse and how it's working and also taking a look at yourself and have I injured myself lately? Is that what's changed? Has my balance changed or am I not able to use this leg and this rein and not able to actively give a half halt clearly or things like that? So I think... We need to stop and have a look at ourselves and just look at ourselves as athletes also. So we need to be fit, we need to be healthy and we need to be working in the best with our own body because as soon as our horse is a little bit lame or a little bit sore, we've always got the therapist on the phone getting them there, but we don't do that to ourselves. So I think that's one of the main things I see and one of the main things that riders are really reluctant to do, which is quite a handbrake in a lot of instances you know it does stop them from progressing because they can't ride particular movements because they may be jamming or blocking with their body yeah that's something I would say I also think that as riders we need to just look and go it takes many many people to make a successful horse and a successful rider and just be grateful for all those people that have been on your journey previously or who are on your journey now so that might be you know coaches from from however many back or your vet or your therapist or your farrier or, you know, anyone that helps you on your journey. I think we really need to respect, you may change them, but you need to respect the help that that person's given you at that time, not just move on. So I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind too, that there's, there's always so many people, there's a team of people that make just one horse and ride a combination successful. Mm. So... Yeah, I think that's important to remember too. You know that the farrier is important, the vet's important, they all complement and it's not just one person. No, and I think that really was a big eye-opener to me when I went overseas and I looked at how everyone has to work together. And if you don't have someone that's working really well in your team and can see your vision, then it's not a bad thing. It's just that that person isn't the right person for that particular horse or that particular team, part of the team or... So nothing bad said. It's Mm. just, well, this vet works really good with this horse or this farrier works really good with this horse and the issue it has with it. But no one else is offended. Do you know what I mean? Everyone just kind of goes, yep, this is the job and this is the end that we want to get to. And there's horses for courses, basically. Mm. And the amount of people that it does take to work together. And I know there's lots of people out there that go, yeah, but I don't care. I don't want to get to the Olympics. I just want to go out and write a really good test or I just want to do a prelim test where I remember the whole test. Mm, mm. But you've got to think you're still asking your horse to be an athlete. It's like saying, I just want to do a fun run and I just want to maybe get to a 15K run. <laughs> yeah, but you're still going to need the right shoes. You're going to need to train. You're going to need some help along the way. It's the same with our horses. It doesn't mean how, matter how big the goal is, yep. you still need the right people around you to help you get there. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. 
If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. All right. Now, have you got a book that you can recommend to our listeners, something that's going to complement what they're doing with the horse? Probably the main books when I first started dressage, the main books that I went to were the German Federation books, mm-hmm. which were, I think there's two of them, The Principles of Riding yep. and Advanced Techniques of Dressage or something I think it's called. So they're the main books I went to just to get a really clear idea of how things were. Also, I would really recommend that people read the directives on their dressage tests because so many times I can say to my clients, okay, do you know your test? Number one, if they say yes, that's a huge bonus. (laughs) So knowing your test and knowing the movements that are required at a certain level, not only the level that you're competing at, but the level you're training at. So, you know, I've always been brought along in my training to be training a level above what you're competing. So, you know, it's easy and you're confident in what you're doing. But have you ever read the directives of what the judge is looking for in each movement? So it's not only about where are the coefficients, but what are the judges actually looking for? Because that gives you a better understanding of how you need to work your horse, how the judge wants to see it, you know, what way of going they're they're actually looking for. There's a lot of detail in there. So I think that's really important too. And I think we need to also seek advice or articles or, I mean, in today's age, you know, no one really reads long things, so you're not going to pick up a book often, but you'll, you'll look at YouTube, won't you? So I think we need to look at people who are really positively influencing our sport, mm-hmm. not just people who are winning ribbons. I think that's a really important thing too, that the people winning ribbons, yeah, that might be great. They might be the people that are positively influencing our sport, but look at others too and mm-hmm. make sure that... Maybe they're on the, the same line as your philosophy and what you believe and the way you believe your training system should go. So, yeah, that would be my advice. That's good, yeah. All right. Now, Rachel, what are you looking forward to? Huh, in the future, I've sort of over the years built up a really nice little team. So I'm actually really excited about this year. <laughs> so with William, so that's CJP Winchester, my FEI horse, we've just – had a really, he's only been back in work, like competition work for four and a half months before he went to the nationals. We weren't even going to the nationals because I didn't think he'd be well enough, but he was. So we took the chance and off we went. And we came back after him being well enough, we came back at um, medium tour, so FEI medium tour, which is into A and into B. So that's, we were at pre-St. George into one, which is small tour. So we went up the next step. So not only had we come back after being sick, I thought, well, we may as well come back at where we were working at before and, yeah, got him fit enough and off he went. And he was very successful, qualified for the Nationals, ended up third at the Nationals overall in the championship and then went on to state championships with the Dressage Festival and ended up winning all these tests there. So, yeah, he ended up with the state championship. So for him, our goal now is this year to transfer into the big tour and have a Grand Prix start sort of when he's ready. So Mm -hmm. there's no push here. He's only 13, so he's still fairly young. All the foundation work is there. It's just making sure I can maintain his fitness and just keep tabs on that, which has been super in the last five or six months. So that's a good thing. Okay. That's that's good news. Yeah, really good news. Yeah. They have a few other young ones. So I've got um, SPH Donakara. She's seven-year-old now, so she'll be making a medium-advanced start this year. 
And then I'm just breaking in a really lovely three-year-old Negro Don Frederico filly. Mm -hmm. So she'll be under saddle this year. And then, yeah, we've just recently bought a beautiful Escalar Sandro Song filly from Germany. So, I mean, those who who know what's going on in the young horses in Germany, Escalar is from um, Huberta Schmidt's stables. Mm -hmm. So we sort of fell in love with him last year when we were over there and yeah, so she's a really exciting addition. So Good. I've got a really nice little team coming together. <laughs> Sounds exciting. like you're looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, it is exciting. It is yeah. exciting. We'll have to talk to you, you know, this time next year and just see what you're looking forward to then yeah. in the following year. Yeah, yeah. All right. Rochelle, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today? Um, probably my philosophy is to become not just a rider and a competition rider, but to also become a horse person. You know, understand your horse, understand how it works and you don't have to be a vet or a therapist or anything like that, but take note of things that change. So, I mean, I have a calendar in the stables and anything that might be not right or, you know, I rate my training every time so that I can see if the attitudes change or certain movements are harder. So just become a little bit more thinking about how your horse is working and and keep things in mind of, of how things might be changing. And just remember that it's a partnership. Like you have to be working together. So as much as your horse needs to be right, so do you need to be right to be the best you can be and to produce the best horse. And then find people that you can work with. So find the people or the coach or the vet that have the same idea and the same philosophy and the same understanding and can appreciate your goals and your ideas and where you want to get to and are willing to support you on that way. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, just having a really good team around you and being able to have a really good support team with your coach and your vets and your farriers and things like that. It's extremely important for you getting to where you want to be, even if it's not the Olympics, you know, it's still really important. Sure, yep. All right. Now, Rachel, how can people contact you? So I can be contacted either via my website, which I'm currently making a new one, but yeah, you can still contact me via the website or email, which is dressage00 at yahoo.com. Or you can give me a call. The only thing about giving me a call is if I'm coaching or I'm riding, I don't usually answer the phone. So during the day, I probably won't get back to you, but I certainly will at night. So Mm -hmm. yeah, so my number is on the website too and of course via Facebook everyone's on Facebook so uh, yep, shooting yep. me a message on Facebook is fine also okay and we'll cap those details as well on horsechats.com slash Rachel Wilson yep all right great talking to you today Rachel hope to get you back again sometime and um, looking forward to Super. it <laughs> I've certainly Thanks, enjoyed Glenna. yeah I've certainly enjoyed your your conversations you know even starting right off with Richard Branson I think you know someone offers you an amazing opportunity to say yes and figure out how later yeah yeah <laughs> okay thank you bye-bye thanks if you've enjoyed this chat then please comment rate and subscribe if you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests then please contact us through horsechats.com And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.